got to understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. Philadelphia's Beach Slang is one of the most exciting bands in rock today. On stage, they're loud, they're fast, they're hard, but they're sensitive. Band leader James Alex joins us in front of a live audience for a special acoustic performance. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. We'll also be reviewing the 11th studio album from veteran rock band The Drive-By Truckers. And we're going to dig into the surprising story behind a song I can't live without. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions. And Greg, as I just noted, Beach Slang is one of the most powerful live bands uh, of recent years. I first saw them at South by Southwest because I stupidly was not moved by their first record. And we had many Sound Opinions listeners uh, emailing both of us saying, you got to see them live, you'll get it. And certainly I did. This is how the band normally sounds. Play it loud, play it fast. Play me something that will always last. Play it tough, play it quiet. Play me something that might save my Now, the group has had a number of lineups since it began with singer and songwriter James Alex. Just this week, they parted ways with the guitarist who was touring with them amid allegations that he'd been involved in a sexual assault before joining the band. They're touring now behind the new record, A Loud Bash of Teenage Feelings. A couple of weeks ago, a crowd of about 50 people, lucky fans, joined us for a very special solo acoustic performance from James Alex at the Goose Island Tap Room here in Chicago. That song we just heard part of, future mixtape for the art kids, contains this lyric, Play it soft, play it quiet, play me something that might save my life. I asked James if that bit about his life, depending on rock and roll, is something he really believes in. Oh yeah, yeah, with, 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 all, with all my heart, with all my guts, you know, yeah, I am, um, yeah, I was a pretty lost kid, you know, I mean, rock and roll gave me a sense of belonging and purpose, you know, and I, I guess I haven't, I haven't been able to shake that off, nor have I wanted to, you know. What was the light bulb moment? What was the moment that you music hit you and you kind of knew this was changing me? Yeah, man, there there were two things really. I the first rock and roll show I ever got to go see was the Ramones. You know, I dropped off by my mom. You know, the whole little kid, little ragtag kid, and you know, I just walked in there and I, I've described it as feeling like outer space. You know, I just the, <laughs> I, it was just really wild, like the energy and all that stuff and getting sort of knocked down, but picked back up by these bigger punks and stuff. And I just felt like, I don't know, I felt community or something. Um, And then I saw a high school production of Tommy by The Who, you know? (laughs) And I think that gave me a sense of like, because, you know, Townsend to me is, you know, sort of otherworldly, right? But then I saw kids, you know, sort of my age playing these, these Who songs. And I couldn't believe that you could do that. I thought you needed to be of, you needed to be, tapped by the rock gods or something to, to do that. And then when I saw that, it sort of cracked my head open, and I was like, maybe I can fake my way through this, you know? Maybe I can do it. I think the perception of you is you're sort of a late bloomer. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, people are saying, oh, wow, this guy's not 21. Yeah. And he's making this music. You know, you're almost twice as old as that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you were in a band for a long time, Weston, uh, out of Philly. But you weren't like the main force in that band. I mean, it seemed like you were part of a part of a band. And he weaseled yeah. his way into the I top. There. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was that like? By the end, yeah, yeah, you for were sure. singing and writing. And yeah, I think it was that. Like we sort of started out, and there was no sort of blueprint for us at that time, you know. So we were sort of figuring it out. I, I read this story about Weston. Tell me if it's true. Okay, sure. That you were a fan, and you would just show up at every gig. That's true. However, you could get, and sooner or later, you know, they lost their rhythm guitarist, and they said, "Man, you're here anyway." You're here anyway. <laughs> just uh, yeah. Why don't you just? Why don't we just make this thing official? Um, so yeah, that's precisely how it happened. And then we just started doing the thing, and then. I learned so much from those guys and it took a good while but because you know I came up such a shy painfully shy wallflower that they sort of showed me how to front a band even though I wasn't fronting that band they showed me how to do it just watching well you went from wallflower to a guy who's playing on stage in his underwear yeah yeah I mean it was (laughs) (laughs) today we have pants on right radio not only pants but a stylish blazer and a ruffled shirt yeah well you know sound opinions I had to doll up a little bit yeah I will no no that's your uniform that it is that that it is yeah it's my well it's my little it's my little Clark Kent to Superman thing but but yeah no you're right I think it was that it was tap into whatever gear you haven't found before so yeah yeah yeah. they they pushed me in, in into uncomfortable places but those are those really necessary places we need to go as human beings. You know, I wanted to, uh, you know, I didn't want to stay stuck without a voice my whole life. And they really helped me find it, you know. Yeah. Well, as I said, you're here with your acoustic guitar. Beach Slang, you know, Greg and I don't agree on a lot. One of the best live bands in rock today. I'm really interested to see what this becomes with just you and your acoustic. I mean, because you'll play a song sort of alone, but you're still amplified on stage and the boys are there. Right, sure. So, But this is how they start, because you record at home, right? I I do, yeah. If it can hold up, it's just you and your acoustic guitar. There's, There's something to the song, you know. I need to make sure it passes that little test first, and then... Then we make it loud and it becomes beach slang. But yeah. yeah, but it needs to sort of pass this. I was doing, I was on radio once and somebody called it the campfire test. Mm-hmm. So I've been subscribing to that uh, title. Yeah. Excellent. Well, what are you going to play? Um, I was going to play Atom Bomb off the, the new record. You know, we'll sort of, we'll take the rockingest song off the new record and see how that uh, transcribes. But <laughs> so yeah, I have at it now. Yeah, yeah okay. sure.
Uh, James Alex of Beach Slang, solo acoustic. Uh, what a treat. Your album is called A Loud Bash of Teenage Feelings. I love that <laughs> title. Thanks. You know, I, 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 there's such an explosion of feeling in these two uh, Beach Slang records. Yeah. It's almost like, it almost feels to me like it, that, that was just being stored up when you were in Weston. <laughs> and yeah. there was finally this outlet for it. Did you have any ambitions like, I, I got to do my own thing when you were in that band or, or was it just you were just very content to be where you were at that point? I think, yeah, we were all pretty content just sort of being silly and getting into good trouble and just having fun as like friends and brothers and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, th I think once that ended, there was this idea of, I think I grew into having the courage to be honest. You know, I think I always sort of hid a part of that away because I, I just have this wild fear of rejection that I was just like, well, if I open myself up entirely and somebody's just like, ah, that, that's no good. I think with Beach Slang, and, and I think maybe it was just bravado came with age, you know, and it was just like, I was, I'm just going to kind of tear myself open and see if honesty has a place in rock and roll. And, you know, yeah, fortunately I, it, <laughs> it, it has, you know, at least in our little, in our little world, our little scene, it, it, uh, yeah, I'm really glad I did it. The story and you can correct us on this, uh, is that, you know, here, here you are, early, mid-30s, Weston sort of dissolves. And what I'd read is that you had, a, had, at that point, sort of thought, well, that's it for me in music. I'm, I'm going to be this graphic artist guy, and I'm going to live the straight life from now on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. How long did that last, and why did it end? Yeah, right on. Well, yeah, man, I, you know, it didn't last very long. But, I, I, you know, I had defined myself by... Weston, you know, we all did. We were like, this is what we do. And when that ended, we had that moment of like, well, what slash why slash who are we now? Right. And I was like, well, what do I do if I can't play guitar? And I was like, well, I was making posters and flyers for shows. Art school seemed like, you know, it made sense. So I did that. But you know how people have holes in themselves and people, I don't know, <laughs> commonly refer to it as like the God hole or whatever. I, you know, mine looks, mine shaped like rock and roll. I just, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't not do it. 
I was chasing this sound that took a, that, that took a good long time. And then when I wrote Filthy Luck, which is the first thing I wrote for Beach Slang, I was like, I think I found it. I, I, I had that hair sort of stood up on my arms moment of like, this is that thing that has been eluding me. And then, and then we made EP1, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it still wasn't going to be a band it still when you made that EP. Totally. It was just like sort of a recording project. I mean, when, when the whole thing happened, I sort of let some friends um, hear these things and they were like, these really deserve to be record, right? So it was like, okay, well, let's go in and cut it. And then I, before we even put it out, I moved to California for like design stuff. And, and we thought like kind of that's what it was. And then I suppose I have trouble accepting that people might care about anything I do. And that's not a plug to sort of get attention or anything. I just like, I'm just really wired to be that way, I suppose. Um, and then when it sort of happened, I was like, well, look, you know, one day I'm going to be regaling tales about my life from a rocking chair. And I'm like, I don't want to tell the story of like, I wonder what would have happened if we chased that beach slang thing. So as soon as it felt like there might be a little, a little moxie to this thing we were building, I was like, well, let's go all the way, you know? So then that way fly or fall, you know, we know we, we swung with all we had, you know? Second, second. Yeah. And, and one of the things I found inspiring about your story is your wife encouraged you. Oh, it wasn't like grow up, be an adult. Yeah, it was pretty wild when we got the safety net removal for beach slang was we got offered that tour with cursive and I had just, oh man, I, this sounds shameful to say, but I had a kid, I had my son two weeks before and she's like, no, you gotta, you gotta do it. You know, wow. you gotta go do it. So yeah, man, it, it would be, it would be difficult. It, it'd be impossible to do if she wasn't so um, cool. You know, she really promotes the idea as I think we do to each other of like, we just want to make each other the best version of ourselves that we can be because like, you know, that's sort of who we, that's who we fell for. That's who we swoon yeah. over, you know? So we don't want that to be lost. And she's like, you know, if rock and roll leaves your life, you're just, you're like a ghost of, of James, you know, you're not him. So she's been cool and she has walked it like she's talked it, you know? So yeah, I'm pr pretty lucky fella. Yeah. How about another song? Oh, surely. That'd be great. Um, yeah, I was going to play Bad Art and Weirdo Ideas off the last record. Cool. The sound of your heart is wired to Out of place 
try to get found I've never known how James Alex from Beach Slang, performing bad art and weirdo ideas at the Goose Island Tap Room in Chicago. Coming up, more music from Beach Slang, and James talks with us about his desire to tear down the wall between performer and audience. Later in the show, we're going to review the new album from the Drive-By Truckers. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And today we're talking with James Alex of the Philadelphia band Beach Slime. 
Typically, Beach Lang is loud guitars and an explosive stage show. But we brought the volume down for a special acoustic set in front of a live crowd at the Goose Island Tap Room here in Chicago. Before the break, James told us how Beach Lang songs start on the acoustic guitar, but I wanted to get more into the mechanics of that songwriting. I asked if his songs are part of a laborious process or if they just came to him in a bolt of inspiration. Yeah, um, I get pretty lucky sometimes, you know, and I feel like they're like, they're little encouraging gifts to say, yeah, you should keep doing this because that balances out the ones that take longer, you know, and the way you, the banging the sort of head off the desk. But I'm, I don't know, I suppose I'm pretty lucky or I'm just really hardworking. I mean, I write every day. You know, I remember this, I, I saw this interview with Brian Wilson and he was like, I'm not a genius. I'm just a hardworking guy. You know, I, I just, I love working on doing this stuff. I get a buildup of noise in my head. And then if I don't get it out, it's just, it's like bumblebees, right? So they come out in the form of songs. So I'm lucky in that way. I can't think this I break guitars, I wait So it's, it's that, you know, I just every day sort of sort of bang around waiting for that moment where I'm just like, there's something worth chasing in this, you know. Um, yeah, sometimes I'm lucky, sometimes not so much. <laughs> I've heard different theories about that. Uh, some people carry around a little, you know, dictaphone type recorder or they're in front of a microphone so that they can remember it or they'll say it into the microphone. Sure. Uh, others are like, if it's any good, I'll remember it the next day. You know, it's like it just oh, yeah. sticks with me and it can't, it just haunts me. And that's when I know I've written something that, that's worth keeping. That's How really How does it work cool. for you? I, I use a recorder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't remember where I parked my car, you know? So I, I uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I have these, you know, we have this technology sort of at our fingertips. So I, I, I do that. And, you know, cause a lot of times too, I wake up with it. So I do that sort of half slur, you know, half REM state sort of thing. And then I wake up and I'm like, oh, that's that's not bad. Let's see what we can make something out of this. So no, no, I, I don't rely on my, my memory. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, I record them. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I yeah. can imagine a lot of people lose stuff that way when they're just trying to remember it. You know? Well, that's the thing, right? Yeah. 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 I just don't want to be like, because you're always going to perfect it, right? It'll be like, Oh, I wrote and you know, in, in your memory, it's going to be like, you wrote, you know, whatever it might be, uh, where's my mind or something. Right. And then it's like, then you go back to, you know, you, you listen to it on your recorder. It's like, no, you know, it's just like, so I'd rather at least have the, I can verify that it's like, no, instead of like being haunted by like, oh, I think I wrote, where is, you know, my, where is my mind, you know? Yeah. So yeah. The one that got away. The one that got away. Yeah. James, you were going to play us another tune. I, I see on your set list, it's Dirty Cigarettes. Can you tell us about that tune and how that came together? Because I've also read that you only sleep like three or four hours a night. That's true. And on a good night. Yeah. A lot of the night you're up and just with that guitar working. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am. Was I've, this one of those? It, it was. This was like, I very rarely sit down, like like Bad Art and Weirdo Ideas, I very, I sat down with an, a purpose of writing for a friend with 30 cigarettes, I sat down with the intention of writing about, you know, the way my birth father always made me feel. Right. So I, I, um, that was a, uh, 
I don't really do that often because I find that's very hard to do is to say, I want to write about this. Typically, I'm more just like, you know, Black Francis said this thing about like, he'll just kind of bash at his guitar and sort of scream around till he has like an eargasm, you know, and I, I typically, that's my approach, you know, I wait for it to be a little more primal and from the gut. But this is another example of like, no, I think I need to write about that to sort of, I guess it's like sonic journaling or something, you know. Um, so that's how this came about. But yeah, it was like middle of the night. I think that's when I do my best stuff because you know how it is, like your, your mind starts to disconnect just a little bit from your head and it allows you to go places that maybe you wouldn't when you're a little more structured in the day, you know. like right on thank you all right dirty cigarettes from james alex of beach slang on sound opinions we're here at the goose island tap room beautiful stuff harrowing stuff too it's like we're getting some we're getting the beauty and the uh and the uh, yeah. other side of that, uh, the darkness at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to me, you know, you're very unabashed about, you know, teenage feelings, you sure. know, in the title of this album, yeah. right? And that seems to be a recurring theme in a lot of your music, revisiting some of this stuff. And it's interesting because I think 
some people may perceive that, well, you know, that's kind of juvenilia. Haven't we moved on, you know? But at the same time, a lot of those events shape who we are as adults. And I think a lot of it is just we come to a certain point in our lives where we start processing how that, how, how that has affected us. And many of us don't understand until it's too late. We start making the same mistakes. I was curious about, you know, using this music in this way, uh, because the whole idea of therapy, you know, sure. and the suffering artist, those are cliches. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, you're processing it into this great music. You know, how do you sort of see that uh, inspiration yeah. translating into art? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think that's the thing, right? It's like we can sort of get hunkered down in the like the knockouts or, you know, sort of polish those and sort of focus on the, you know, you got back up part. I, I think what I do is remember that crumminess, but I'm not necessarily interested in it. I just don't have any interest in being sad, you know? I mean, I am, I get there, but I'm I just... You know, happiness to me is, is an active pursuit. I just choose to say I'm going to punch back at the, at the muck and I'm going to make my life pretty cool. You know, I've, I've described when I write songs, that feels like a baptism. And when I play songs, that's like an exorcism, you know? And then all of a sudden it's like, it's just a sweet little light that's sort of hanging around, you know? I, I get to knock it out of me doing this thing that I'm so lucky to do, you know? You know, my life's definitely, as is no one's, it's all like sort of rainbows and bunnies, but it's also not all of, you know, a cure song either. It's like, it's, uh, there's a nice balance of, you know, light and dark and somewhere in the middle, you know, we get to be alive. And I, I, I'm just trying to hang out there for a little bit. had this weirdo epiphany, which seems like very common sense, but I was like, I'm not going to live forever. And I think it was like when my son was born, I looked at him and one of the first things I said was, so you're my replacement on earth, you know? And I think it gave me this moment of like, what's the back nine of my life going to look like, you know? How much living can I pack in before I huff those last breaths? And you know, as I'm doing those, just to make sure the conversation I'm not having with myself is, I wish I would have blank. I just want to be there, I don't know, you know, making out or something when I'm, it's, it's at the end. I, I don't want to have, I want to have fixable regrets in life. Like, it's like, oh, I've never been to, I, I, you know, I, I've never attempted to climb Everest. Like, well, there's still time to try to do that, right? I want to make sure when I'm, when I'm laying there and it's about to, I'm about to split, I'm not having that conversation. How much of what we're hearing is is you and how much is your audience? Because your audience is part of this now, it seems to me. Without a doubt. Uh, especially you, you tour a lot and people respond so viscerally to your music. How does that affect the way you write songs? Gigantically, right? It's like, so the first record, I describe those songs as two-minute novels about me and my friends and the things we've done, right? This record a lot of the narratives of these songs are from people I've, you know, had the good fortune to meet through touring off the first record. It's like, 
I've been talking about it a lot lately, like how ego is the embarrassment of rock and roll and how do I smash the divide between band and listener? And it's like, man, that stuff's important to me. And I, I the sort of uh, divine rock star thing to me is so dumb, you know, for the lack of a better descriptor. I never say the word fans because that's all so dumb. I, I get to make friends, you know, I, I, I just don't want there to be any difference. Like I get asked a lot, like, how do you continue to write back to everybody and you do the social media and you do all these things? I'm like, because it's important to me. You know, it's like, it's not about me. It's not about beach slang. It's just about this little, little, little gang of romantics that we've built. I mean, I think the people who listen to this band or have connected with it are just like really sweet. You know, I, um, I want to keep that around, you know, yeah. but, um, so yeah, so so close it out here. Um, sure. So yeah, uh, can I say thank you? Is that Please. okay? Or, okay, I just wanted to thank you all for coming. I, I wasn't sure who was going to be here, but soft guitar, good beer, sweethearts. I it's a little rock and roll heaven. I thank you. It it uh, it means a whole lot to me. It feels good to be around y'all. Yeah. I, uh,
Thank you. We've been having entirely too much fun at the uh, Goose Island Tap Room here in Chicago with James Alex of Beach Lang playing solo acoustic. Thank uh, you so much, James. Thank you for so much for having me. This was a really great priv privilege to be here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you all so much. If you want more beach slang, you can find video of the performance and learn why we call James Alex the valedictorian of rock and roll. That's all at soundopinions.org. Coming up, we review the latest from the drive-by truckers and a Desert Island jukebox pick of a 50-year-old song results in a surprising message on our hotline. That's all coming up in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Hey, podcast listeners, sign up for the Sound Opinions newsletter, and every week you'll get a preview of the show and a heads up about our upcoming events. Go to soundopinions.org for more info. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim Dirigatis, and that's a song called Surrender Under Protest from the new Drive-By Truckers record, American Band, the 11th studio album from this band. They've been around 20 years, took shape in the, uh, the mid-90s. Born of uh, a friendship between two college bandmates, Mike Cooley and Patterson Hood started playing together in 1985 in Athens, Georgia. But they're both Alabama boys at their yeah. core, and uh, in fact... Uh, Patterson Hood, his father was a famous bass player in the Muscle Shoals Rhythm Section in Alabama, working with a lot of African-American performers at the height of the civil rights era. And the band was sort of steeped in that tradition. Uh, they, they were writing empathetic songs from a perspective of a Southerner who doesn't quite understand some of the traditions of the South and yet is deeply informed by them. Their breakthrough record came in 2001, a double album called Southern rock opera that put this little band from the South that nobody had really written or cared that much about on the map for a lot of people, and they, their career has really taken off since then. They've had some excellent songwriters in the band, besides Hood and Cooley, 
They've had people like Rob Malone, Shauna Tucker, and most famously Jason Isbell, who was in the band for a number of albums and has gone on to a, a terrific solo career. Now we have their 11th studio album. It's called American Band. Here's a song from it called Ramon Cassiano by the Drive-By Truckers on Sound Opinions. That is Ramon Cassiano, the lead track on American Band, the 11th album by the Drive-By Truckers. And Greg, it's startling that a band around for so long, so deep into their catalog, can still surprise us, thrill us, excite us. This is an absolute masterpiece of a record. It is hitting on a lot of hot-button issues in this era of uh, campaign slogans. We're in the thick of it, right? And if you just look at it superficially, make America great, stronger together, they sound good, those phrases. What do they mean? Please define America. Please define great. Please define stronger. Uh, these songs start with slogans by both Hood and Cooley, and then they go deep in a novelistic way of introducing us to the people behind the issues they're tackling gun control, the border war, uh, the Black Lives Matter shootings of Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown. They're not doing it in a simplistic, sloganeering way. They're doing it by making us feel something that is all too rare today, empathy. Meet these people. I may disagree with them strongly, uh, but I, you know they're people too, and we're all in this together. I, I think it's an extraordinary record, and musically, you know, if if I'm turning you off by talking too much about the lyrics and the political bent here, I don't think a band has been firing on all cylinders this strongly in this mode of the hypnotic driving groove since you know Crazy Horse and Neil Young at their very very best. It's a truly extraordinary album. A very enthusiastic buy it from me. I agree, Jim. It's a terrific record, one of their best, without a doubt. The the songwriting team of Cooley and uh, Hood, Yin and Yang, uh, Cooley takes care of the rockers, the anthemic rockers on this record, and, and they are terrific. Uh, that guitar-based anthem rock that they are so good at, uh, Cooley is one of the best in the world right now yeah. in writing those kind of songs. You know, I don't think it's too far-fetched to say, you know, I'm hearing echoes of The Clash here, and The Clash at their very sure. best in, in what Cooley's doing. Hood is taking care of the introspective part. His, his songs are moodier, darker, 
uh, deeper in some ways, uh, you know, addressing issues like terrorism, uh, his southern roots and how he can't escape them, even though sometimes he tries very, very hard to, to run away from that. He can't. And economic and racial inequality in a song like What It Means. And if you say it wasn't racial when they shot him in his tracks, well, I guess that means that you ain't black. It means that you ain't black. I mean, Barack Obama won, and you can choose where to eat. But you don't see too many white kids lying bleeding on the street. You know, the, the very fact that these shootings that are going on in the streets of America today, uh, largely to African-American men, is, is something that he has seen and firsthand. One of his friends got killed in the in the mid-90s, and he's written a very eloquent song about it. This well, whole- I'm glad you mentioned that, because I think it's not unfair to put this record in the same uh, you know, uh, realm thematically and, and in terms of excellence as the Beyonce record, the Solange record, the Mick Jenkins record, these albums we've been talking about that have been talking about these current issues. This is an answer record in a lot of ways to to what has been going on as you mentioned this hip-hop community you know Kendrick Lamar people like that addressing these issues uh, and and here's a rock band uh, in that conversation from it's the a, south no less absolutely it's a buy it record so a few weeks ago I had a desert island jukebox pick called born to wander from a obscure singer named Jack Wood Now, I had first heard the song back in the 80s on a mixtape that uh, a friend of mine made. You know, he was uh, a specialist in uh, digging up these obscure pieces of music, and I remember being blown away by it then. And then I was reminded of the song when it appeared in a liquor commercial on TV last year. I'm almost embarrassed to say that, but I go, I've heard that before. And I went back to that cassette, and, and I found it. The song was reissued uh, by Jack White's record label, Third Man Records, and, and doing a little more, more research about the song, I found that it was uh, recorded in 1966 by Jack Wood in a, in a little town called Sparta, Michigan. Got played a few times on local radio, and then Jack and that song essentially disappeared. Well, now we know what happened with the song, but not with Jack. And then we get this call on our hotline. Yeah, hi, Jim and Greg. Uh, this is Jack Wood. I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I am the singer-songwriter of Born to Wander, which you very graciously had on your show a couple days ago. So we had a follow-up. Let's welcome Jack Wood to the show. Jack, the fact that you called in, we figured we had a call and get the story straight from you. Well, that's great. No, I was really pleased uh, to, to hear you do my song. I thought, that's fantastic. That's why I called. Well, it's had, you know, it's this brilliant tune that had this delayed reaction of being recognized for its brilliance by half a century, right? <laughs> yeah, took him 50 years to find me. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it was worth waiting for. So so tell us, you know, who were you and what were you doing in 1966? I was just um, uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, playing in a local band, uh, weekends, writing songs, uh, you know, 24 years old and just having a great time. And I recorded uh, Born to Wander put it out, nobody wanted it, and I just kind of forgot about it. I uh, went on, I did more recording in Nashville, and I've recorded since then. I've been doing a lot of recording. 
And that one just kind of was a sleeper until all of a sudden, um, you know, the commercial came on, and holy cow, it just uh, it just exploded. It's been fantastic. Well, you never even played it live after you I've never played, played it there. live. No, wow. I was on the road. I played for full-time for about 15 years. I never played it live. No, no. It was just, uh, I thought it was a dead song. You know, I didn't think anybody wanted to hear it. What was the yeah. impetus for writing the song in the first place? Uh, I... a, a, a girlfriend, you know, at that age, right? There was Everything was wrong. Build around girlfriends. And, um, I, I, as I recall, I had just had, you know, left another girlfriend. You know, I gotta be free and all of that. So that's where that came from. Now I see the This is the era of the the first great garage bands in, in yeah, America, yeah, Jack. Yeah, it really um, was. Yeah. But but rarely were those bands. I mean, those bands were quick and dirty. You know, they'd go in, yeah. record three tracks in in an hour, and they were yeah. done. You yeah. had some ambition in the recording stuff. I mean, you're you're, you're dragging timpani into the studio, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> tell tell us about the sessions. Ah, uh, the session itself was set on a Sunday afternoon. And um, I had rehearsed with the band. It was not the band that I was uh, playing with. Uh, there's another group in town, really good musicians. And I had rehearsed with them just once, and I found a couple girls to do backup. And then, I don't know, I think it was about three or four days before the session, I got to thinking that, gosh, you know, timpani drums would be nice. So I, I called the local high school the band leader, Van, uh, and asked him, did they have timpani in the band? He said, yes, he did. I said, well, I'm doing a, re- a session mm-hmm. there, uh, there in Sparta. Can, would you send him over? So, yeah, he came over. He was a high school timpani player. He came hmm. over and played timpani. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you mentioned all these elements in this song, um, yeah. and to me, the arrangement is what really makes it. Uh, I think right. That's amazing. I didn't know anybody else was listening to it. <laughs> well, because you, had you had no only idea. pressed 100 copies right? Yeah, just a hundred. That's it. So let's fast forward uh, 49 years. Uh, yeah. the, 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 the song gets played on this uh, uh, liquor commercial right. uh, and it's huge in terms of just the amount of exposure yeah. it received because this is a national, I think even international it might have been, where it was aired around the world. Um, you know, it, it, again, it was one of the, I had had several calls earlier about that song, and I kept saying, this is crazy, people are interested, and I own all the rights to it. I own the copyrights, the publishing, and everything. So and these I rare thought, copies well, had been selling on the Internet, right? Yeah. I mean, a couple and, thousand and bucks a piece, right? It just it knocked me out. I, and I, um, I, I went on the Internet and found it, and the, the thing had been on the Internet since 2009. At that time, it had about 1,700 plays on YouTube. I didn't know about that. Of course, now it's got over 200,000. But, um, yeah, it just so I thought, maybe, you know, since I own it. So I had 500 copies printed up and, uh, and put together um, on a website. And the darn thing started selling right away. But then uh, Ben Blackwell, out of uh, Third Man Records, he had ordered a copy. And then when the commercial was being produced, they sent me a copy of the, the very rough draft and I just sent it down to Ben to get his opinion, and he got right back after me and says, you got it, you know, you, you need to get on Third Man Records. <laughs> 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 and 
And so that's how that came about. Well, Jack, uh, you know, you never became an international rock star like no, Jack. No, no, not going to happen now either. <laughs> no, it, it, it's probably a little late. That boat yeah. has sold. This is a nice coda, right? You know, right. Uh, that the world appreciates this song. Uh, are there regrets about that? No, no, not at all. No, no. I, I live a good life. Uh, music has been a part of my life. I, if I had become a rock star back then, I'd be dead by now, hmm. you know, living that lifestyle. So no, no regrets. But it has been great. This thing has really revived my music career, and I've gotten a lot of attention that I never would have gotten otherwise. And I'm happy for it, you know. I'll take it. Not a problem. Jack, thank you so much for coming on Sound Opinions. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you guys. And again, I'm really honored that you put my record on your show. It's fantastic. Thanks a lot. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, uh, we're going to do our annual Halloween show, and we need some help from our listeners this time. Uh, We're putting out a call to give us a call at 888-859-1800 and tell us about a song that creeps you out. Greg, we have some special thanks to say for our beach slang performance to all the folks at Goose Island Tap Room, Andrew Gill, Paula Friedrich, Adam Yaffe, and as usual, Sound Opinions is produced by Brendan Banizak, Evan Chung, and Alex Claiborne. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. Hi, this is Laurel Stone uh, in Tullahoma, Tennessee. I just wanted to thank y'all for playing the episode about the replacements. It brought back a lot of great memories of my college days in the early 90s. I loved listening to their music in my dorm room, and I got to see them in Nashville at 328 Performance Hall, and it was a wonderful show. We went back behind the venue at the end of the show and was able to talk to the band, and I got Paul Westerberg to sign my arm. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Hey, great uh, show about the replacements. I'm calling from Las Vegas. I had seen them growing up in Chicago, and, uh, man, just uh, never knew what you were going to get. Saw their last Grant Park show. I'd seen them when they just started out playing dresses, and they were just sloppy and actually had a neighbor who sat next to them on a plane, didn't know who they were, and uh, the entire band just opened up their uh, table trays and just kind of passed out after talking to my neighbor, and my neighbor was like, they were really nice, but uh, they all passed out. Hi, my name is Lou ellsworth Yao. I saw The Replacements back in 1986 in uh, San Francisco at the I-Beam 
And I did see one of those sloppy, reckless, out-of-hand shows, and regardless, still thought it was fantastic. I think that they are uh, a band that is uh, reflective of the American experience, a place that has such uh, fantastic potential, but uh, never really is met as indicative of the song, Unsatisfied. I think uh, we can all sort of relate to the replacement and uh, the American experience, especially in light of this current election season. Thank you very much for a great show. Bye-bye. Hey, Jim and Greg, it's Chuck from Arlington Heights. You posed the question, did the replacements change my life? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was a bit of a late bloomer to the replacements. I finally caught on in about 1988. Uh, in the summer of 1989, they opened for Tom Petty during his Full Moon Fever tour and played uh, Poplar Creek in Hoffman Estates. I got second row tickets. I got there early. I got all revved up for the show. And uh, the replacements hit the stage. Paul kind of came out into the empty seats during the opening song, Nightclub Jitters, just started crawling over the seats. It was like buddy guy going into the crowd with his 100-foot guitar cord, except there was no crowd. There were like five guys yelling, Tim, at the top of their lungs, and in the back lawn, there was probably a ton of people yelling, we want Tom, and it wasn't for Tommy Stinson, it was for Tom Petty. Now, everybody says that was an average show, but, but for me it was life-changing. It was like watching rock and roll and professional wrestling all mixed into one bag. Thanks. Bye. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.